This morning, I am actually finishing um, the series that we've been preaching on the Lord's Prayer. So uh, beginning in early September, I began to preach through the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we're going to wrap that up as we're starting to transition into the holidays. Um, but the focus has been on prayer, and the focus is to get us uh, first motivated for prayer. Um, it's, it's better to be motivated to prayer and maybe not have all your bells and whistles in the right place but actually go to the Lord sincerely in prayer, be motivated in prayer, rather than have maybe by the book a perfect theology of prayer and not pray, right? I mean, if you have everything all worked out, but you're not praying, well, then you're missing the main part, okay? That's like having a beautiful car and no motor, right? So we, we, want, we want both. We want both. And I'm convinced that a sound understanding of prayer as Jesus taught it um, a, a sound teaching and balanced understanding of the Word of God and prayer uh, does motivate us to pray and puts us in a position where it builds our faith and moves us toward a powerful prayer life. And that's what we're looking for, right? We're not looking just to pray prayers. We're looking to have a prayer life, develop a prayer life. I believe to the bottom of my being that it's God's will and purpose that this church be a house of prayer, be a place of prayer. There are so many issues that get worked out when we pray. And there's a lot of issues that we don't even end up having if we do pray, right? So this is what we're seeking and this is what we're looking toward. And we're going to be uh, moving toward this in the future. And I want to kind of drop something right now. Um, we're headed into the holidays and I love, how many love the holidays? How many love the whole Thanksgiving, Christmas, and there's just all these memories, and there's all these uh, sights and sounds and smells, and it's just, it's just wonderful. There's all these emotions that go with it, and, and I believe that's a good thing. I believe that's a good thing. Um, so I'm looking forward to all the tastes and everything else, but when we get into the new year, what we're doing every month with a first fruits time, we're going to do with a whole year. And we're going to break into the new year, January, in a time of fasting and prayer, intense fasting and prayer. So we're gearing up. So when I close this uh, series, it doesn't mean we're done praying. It just means we got the basic equipment to move forward and get into deeper waters, right, where we're praying more deeply and more maturely and more intensely and more consistently. And that's what we're, we're looking forward to as a body. It's not the one or the other. It's not like, well, what does God want us to do? Does he want us to celebrate or does he want us to fast? He wants us to do both, each in their own time and each in their own measure, right? And there's a time for each. But I'm just uh, putting us in that mindset. So let me read the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us 
from evil. Now, each of the passages from verse 9 through verse 12, we've already shared over the last uh, almost three months, uh, two, two and a half months, and they're all on the website. So you can listen to them at, at your leisure. If you miss something, you can go back and you can say, I wonder what this one's about or that one's about. You can check back. But we're on this last verse, verse 13, where Jesus teaches his disciples and says that they should pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is what we're going to talk about today. And let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. And thank you for teaching us to pray, which itself is a promise because it shows that you want to hear our prayer. You wouldn't teach us something if you weren't willing to hear us. And we're grateful that we can approach the throne of grace in our time of need through the blood of Jesus and we can be heard, we can be received by a God who does not find fault. And we ask you to guide us that we pray wisely, intelligently, and biblically in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to go through this particular verse because there are some confusions about this verse. And so I want to talk about what Jesus is really saying and, uh, and uh, kind of what he's not saying. So the first thing I want to do, just to clarify, is define what is meant by temptation in this verse. What is meant by temptation and what, what, it, what it doesn't mean. Hallelujah. Hey, Dan, how you doing? I didn't see you there. How's Rose? Yeah. Hallelujah. Rose is doing good. Glory be to God. Sorry, I interrupted. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Rose had an accident a little while ago and had a stroke, and she's uh, rebounding super quick. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sorry for interrupting my message on that, but I just I didn't see Dan there. All right. All right, so um, what does temptation in this verse mean? Now, I want to tell you, in the New Testament, there are a range of different words that are used in the original language that are translated temptation, okay? Um, so there's some words that specifically talk about stumbling blocks that trip us up for sin, that try to lead us into sin. There's a, when Jesus says, hey, temptation to sin must come, it's inevitable, but woe to the one through whom it comes. There's a particular word that is used there that's not the word that is being used in this verse. Okay? So this verse uses a word um, that in Greek, the word is pyrosmos. Pyrosmos. I'm not going to test you on this. I just wanted to impress you that I know the word, right? Look at that. All right, so pyrosmos. Pyrosmos is the root word for um, those words in English that have to do with pyre. So like a funeral pyre, there's a fire, or pyrotechnics, right? Um, pyro, that's this word, root word for fire. And the word uh, was used in the ancient world for testing, testing something. It was the word that was used. Uh, we don't think about it uh, so much ourselves because our money system is different. I talked about money last week and the weight of money. Um, that's how uh, the ancient world worked. Was uh, they have coins, but things were purchased not on the face value of those coins, but on their weight, right? Because coins could be minted with different weight and so forth. I talked about that last week. But the other factor for money in the ancient world was the purity of the metal, right? So we take for granted, but 
if you, got, if you buy, you know, a silver plate or something, you can flip it over and it'll have the purity rating of the silver on the back. How many know what I'm talking about, right? So, or you buy a gold ingot for an investment and there's a, there's a mark of the purity of it. And, and that's all standardized for us, but in the ancient world it wasn't standardized. And the way they would resolve that question on any amount or piece of metal was they put it in the fire, right? They put it in the fire and they would test it. And this word, pyrosmos, is a reference to that. And obviously, the, the biblical speakers and writers are using that as an illustration, as a metaphor uh, for a broader thing. The testing that people can go through. The temptation. Now, testing uh, is a broader idea that encompasses the idea of temptation that I referred to earlier. So when, when we talk about lead us not into temptation, it's this idea where we're walking along and we're being good and we're eating right and we walk into the store. And have you ever noticed they put all the baked goods right when you walk in the store? Anybody notice that? Or is that just me that I notice that? You walk in, there's all these cakes and there's all these goodies and all this, and you're like, oh, God, lead us not into temptation, right? So this whole idea that there's a, a, stu a stumbling block immediately, this idea of drawing you into sin, um, this idea that Jesus is talking about, it's not that it doesn't include that, it's just that it's a bigger idea. The idea here is a testing, uh, uh, a trial that can include being stumbled, drawing you into sin. So the idea here, and this is pointing to the wiles of the enemy, the, the difficulties that the enemy tries to impose upon us and trip us up, it's not just that he's throwing a dart. The enemy would, would rather us make bad decisions that lead us into a place where the whole situation is testing and then we're vulnerable to one temptation to sin after another. He wants to break, he wants, uh, uh, situationally, he wants to put us in a bad place to where now we're sitting ducks for any, any kind of temptation, right? Most people recognize, hey, when you're strong, right, you just came out of church, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're encouraged, you feel like God's moving in your life, things are going great, you're phys you feel, physically feel good, mentally you feel sharp, you're Football team just won, whatever you want to say, but you feel good. At that time, if the enemy comes along and goes, hey, I want to tempt you into this, you're going to get out of here. I'm not interested in that. How many know what I'm talking about? When you feel strong, that's not when, when he comes after you. It's when your football team just lost. <laughs> right? And you just got an unexpected bill in the mail. And your knee's acting up again. And your boss just chewed you out, or you got a bad phone call, or whatever. And like the hits just keep on coming, and you feel like you're in a situation that is compromising you, and you get discouraged. That's when the enemy wants to come. So that, that broader picture of this kind of testing zone is the zone in which that temptation comes. So it's a bigger picture than just, you know, uh, cinnamon rolls in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? So, so this, is, this, is, this is the picture. Now, let me, let me tell you uh, more specifically what Jesus is not saying before I get into what Jesus is saying. Now, <coughs> excuse me, James chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, 
James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say this. Let no one say when he is tempted. Incidentally, that word tempted there is this root word pyre, fire, testing. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. All right, so James chapter 1 is filled with this word, uses this word repeatedly about this testing. And he's, he's making something clear here that's a good clarifier for the Lord's Prayer. Because we're literally the word says, Father in heaven, lead me not into temptation. And if, we're not, if we don't understand the poetic uh, and indirect nature of the way Jesus was speaking and the way people understood this verse when it was first communicated, then the, we're going to make the mistake of thinking, well, if I don't, what does that mean? If I don't pray this prayer, that the, the Lord is going to lead me into temptation? Like I need to constantly be praying, you know, like God's always wanting to lead me into temptation, but I better pray. Like God, please don't, please don't do that. Please don't lead me into temptation. All right. Uh, so much so that I think a, a while back, even the the Pope of the Catholic Church came out and said, we need to, we need to clarify this a little bit. Um, I'm not going to comment on, on that, but I am saying this has caused confusion for some people. So let me just make something absolutely clear. God doesn't tempt people. He doesn't tempt people to evil. God is not lying in wait. He's not in cahoots with the devil. He's not, they don't have some sort of a deal. And God is not looking to trip you up. Some people actually have this view of the Father. Right? Like the father's kind of looking at you. What's he going to do next? You know? He blew, I, I, got, I got you. You slipped up right there. Some people have that view for different reasons. Some, sometimes it's our own fallen nature. Or sometimes it's a dysfunctional relationship with their natural father or other people that influence them in their life. That's not our God. Right? God doesn't tempt us to evil, and he's not sitting on the edge of his throne looking to see if you're going to fall down. He doesn't need to because we're all going to fall down, right? So the mystery is dissolved on that one, right? But he's not a fault finder. This same chapter in James chapter 1 says God's not a fault finder, right? So that's not what he's into. He's not laying a trap and you're not praying this prayer somehow to appease him so that he doesn't trip you up. That's not, that's not the way our father works. The other thing then I want to say that Jesus is not saying, uh, look over to 1 Peter. Next book over, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. He, uh, Peter says this, In this you rejoice, meaning the faith and the blessing of God, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You know what the word is that's translated trials there? Pyrosmos, same thing. You've been grieved it's the same word it's translated differently because the context is different but it's the exact same idea he says if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuous genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire remember what i said about metals may be found a result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of jesus christ so what peter is saying here is to complement what james just said number one God is not in the business of trying to trip you up. He's not going to try to tempt you. It's not God. That's not God trying to do that. Number two, even as we're praying, lead us not into temptation, Peter is saying, 
This temptation, in other words, these times of testing, are part of life on this earth. Is everybody following me? It's just part of it. So some people get this idea like, if I'm going through a hard time, it must mean that I've done something wrong. Or it must mean that I failed to do something right. I'm telling you, trials and temptations are just part of it. Right? If you're saying, hey, look, I, you know, I, this is, I, I must have done something wrong. Or worse, be like one of Job's comforters. Right? One of Job's buddies. They all show up to comfort him, and then they tell him how wrong he is. Like, well, you, this went wrong for you. You must have done something wrong. You must have done this wrong or that wrong or the other thing wrong or, or what have you. And, and I mean, I just want to say right here, I mean, if you're living right, like Abraham or Joseph in the Bible or David or the Apostle Paul or John the Baptist or Jesus, you're just like them, you're never going to have any troubles, right? That was a joke. <laughs> right? The more, the more you seek God, the more there are going to be trials. Right? But you know what? People say, well, then why should I serve God? Because people in the world have trials too, and then they go to hell. Right? We have trials, but we go to heaven. And we got Jesus holding our hand while we go through the trials. Hmm right? Right? So trials are part of life. Now, what is Jesus saying? I just said what Jesus is not saying. What is he saying? We have got to move forward, right? Life is about forward motion. Life is about forward movement. You know, there have been different, I don't think there's been a person on the earth who's been around at all who doesn't wake up one morning and say, I just want to give up. I don't want to get out of bed. I just want to give up. How many know what I'm talking about? Maybe not you. You heard of somebody, right? So, but you know what? You're lying there and your heart just keeps beating. And you got to get up. Life is about forward motion. Life is about decisions that you must make. And life is about decisions either that you initiate or are imposed upon you. It's about curveballs. You get a curveball thrown at you, you got to do something. You got to do something with it. You didn't sign up for it, but this is, this is the nature of life on this earth, in this fallen world, and God has us on a pilgrimage. He's got a, that's, a, that's a metaphor for the Christian life that isn't often used. More, a lot of times spiritual battle is used. That's appropriate here. Spiritual battle is appropriate, but so is pilgrimage. Pilgrimage, there's a pathway that he's wanting us to walk, that, that he desires for us to walk, that he wills for us to walk. It's forward motion. It's forward movement. And in the midst of that forward movement, decision after decision after decision, small and large that we have to make, we're praying a prayer. We're praying, God, lead us. Lead us and guide us through the traps and the snares that are part of this world. They're just part of this world. This is a prayer that is, admit, that is admitting the world is a perilous place. Now listen, we don't submit to fear. Fear paralyzes. Fear 
among all these things, fear is perhaps the worst snare. So you being like, well, I don't want to go into any snares, so I'm just going to sit here like a scared little bunny. Well, that's a snare. That itself is a snare, right? That's how bunnies die, right? They get paralyzed with fear, and then the enemy comes in and just, just picks them up. So that doesn't work either, right? We recognize, we're recognizing the world is a perilous place. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but cheer up. I've overcome the world, right? So our God is bigger than anything the enemy has to throw, but that means we're declaring dependence upon him, submission to him. We're yielding to him. We're looking to him for guidance and for protection, right? So he, we're praying in the midst of this, God, it's dangerous out there. You're bigger. You're with me. You love me. And I'm asking you, in the midst of this situation that you have me walking through, this pilgrimage that I'm walking, guide me away from excessive testing. Guide me away from the situations that are going to trip me up. Guide me into green pastures. Lead me beside still waters. This is a recognition, hear me now, that us plus certain circumstances equals disaster. Right? I can, I can speak by experience. Um, I know you all got it pinned down, but I'm just telling you, testimony. Me, such as I am, plus certain circumstances, is a disaster. And so God guides me. I pray, I express dependence on him. There have been times where I was in a situation, I thought, God, I'm here. I, I've, I've, I've got... I've, this is my dream situation. I got friends. I've got, I mean, there's, things seem to be going well for me and everything else. And the Lord's like, get away from here. Get out. Go. Why? Because some of the, this, the trajectory of this situation is such that your affections and your relationships and your sense of commitment and so forth is going to put you in a pinch. It's going to put you in a tight, tight place to where it's not that you won't be able to make decisions for me. It's going to be a lot harder for you to make the right decision for me. Right? Every one of us has our limitations. And God wants to put our feet, according to the psalmist, in a broad place. He wants to put us in a safe place. That's his goal. That's his guide. Now, this is what I call a gateway decision. This is a prayer for guidance. When Jesus said, we say, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think a, probably a good way that's consistent with what the scriptures are saying would be pray it like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not in that way that's going to have me be excessively tested, but in a way that takes me away from the evil one and the wiles and the traps of the evil one. Guide me that way. It's a prayer for guidance, even as it's a prayer for protection. Now, when, when, I, when I talk about a gateway decision, this is what I mean. Two doors are in front of you. On the face, there might just be a small difference between them. But going through this door creates a chain of events, sets me in circumstances where I'm given choices that box me in that cause me trouble. Whereas if I go through this door, it's going to guide me in a way 
where my options are better. Is everybody following what I'm saying? At their face, the immediate choice there, there might not seem that much of a difference between them. And I get a flag, a check on this one. Uh, well, but this one, this decision, listen to me, obligates me to other decisions. So not all decisions are created equal. They're not all just a chain. One decision can lead to a bigger decision. Where uh, a young person headed off to college chooses as a university is a gateway decision. You follow what I'm saying? Because it's going to lead to other decisions. Should I go to a Christian university where, you know, they, they uh, teach the word of God and where they, I'm just giving an example because I just came out of that, that type of setting, where um, they have girls dorms over here and they have guys dorms over here. You hear what I said? That's a radical idea, but girls over here, God. And, but the, or I could go to a state school where the students are, or the teachers are going to get up, the professors are going to get up, and they're going to talk against God, they're going to talk against the values of the Bible and everything else, and the girls and the guys are all mixed together in the, in the, same, in the same dorm, sometimes the same floor, sometimes the same room. It's like, hmm. which school should I go to? Right now, that's, this is a gateway decision. You follow, you follow me on that. Let me, let me show you an example of a gateway. This is not my notes. Sorry. Uh, sorry back there. But I want, you, I want you to hear me on this. Luke chapter 7, verse 29 and 30. It says this. When all the people heard this, what Jesus was saying, and the tax collectors too. Right? This is Luke's way of saying, when all the people heard it and even the tax collectors. I mean, that's the bottom of the barrel. They declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So here was a situation. God had been given a drum roll for centuries that he was going to do something. Then along comes this crazy wild man prophet, John. I mean, he's dressed crazy. He's eating bugs. He did. He's eating wild honey. He's down there, knee deep in the Jordan River, baptizing people, shouting, yelling, preaching the gospel, right? He didn't understand the principles of church growth because people would come and he'd say, Get out of here, you vipers. Get, get, get. They had a decision to make. The whole nation had a decision. It was a gateway decision. Thumbs up or thumbs down on John. Do we accept his teaching? Do we repent like he's telling us? Or do we say no? Everybody that went to John and said, we believe he's a prophet. He's right. I need to repent. He might have bad breath, but he's preaching the truth. Right? And so I'm going to repent. That's a gateway decision. That gateway decision, because they said yes to John, it put them in a different place spiritually. Who was John? He was the forerunner that opened the door for Jesus. So when Jesus came along, the fallow ground of their spirit had been plowed, the thorns had been plucked, the rocks had been thrown out of the field, because when they went down in the Jordan River and John baptized them, they put themselves in a place. They made a gateway decision, and that gateway decision put them in a good place. You follow me? 
This is not coincidental that Jesus has us pray this prayer right after he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And the next thing you do, we're praying, God, lead me not into temptation. So God, clean me up, but put me in a place where I don't need to keep asking you to clean me up as much. Right? Are you, are you following? That's, we're asking for strength. We're asking to be put in a better place. Right? But the Pharisees, they also made a gateway decision. And you make a decision sometimes by not making a decision. They made the decision not to be baptized by John. And when they made the decision not to be baptized by John, they put themselves in a bad place. They, put that, they, they, chuck, they chose door number two. And that bad door took them to the place where they were deaf. They were deaf to the voice of the Messiah that they themselves had been proclaiming for centuries. God in the flesh prophesied in passage after passage. Passages that they were experts on. But when Jesus came up, they didn't know the blessing. When it came up, it bit them on the nose. Why? Because it put them in a bad place. They couldn't make the right decision. That, that's a gateway decision. Same with forgive. That's about, Father, forgive us. But the same with God. We forgive those who have sinned against us. Look at this. 1 John chapter 2 says, Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Right? Stumbling to sin, temptation. It says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Listen, it's a gateway decision of our life to forgive. It's also a gateway decision of our life to choose not to forgive. You're like, well, I'm not sure. I'm praying. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I um, if I've got bitterness against that person or not. I'm not. Look, don't debate it. Raise your hands. Call on God and ask for an avalanche of grace. I found I the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? That's that's the prophet Jeremiah. I have found. That usually, if I'm debating with my heart on whether or not there's something wrong towards somebody, my heart's usually lying. Usually, there's an issue. If you think there might be an issue, usually there is. So that's where you just say, God, I just ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me for having any tightness at all in my heart toward that person. I just ask you to cover me with the blood of Jesus. I ask you to help me love everybody without any hesitation, without any twinge of anything, without any bitterness at all. God, I want to be sweet, 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 sweet. I just want to love people, bless them, walk in the love of God, be generous, be generous in my heart, be kind in my heart. There's anything in my heart, God, I just ask you to clear it out and do that over and over and over again, right? Walk until that grace of God walks, is, flows through you, is worked through your spirit like, like yeast through dough where you're just clean, right? That's a gateway decision. If you don't make that decision and you keep, well, you know, if I hear one more person say, that's, I can never forgive them. We're going to miss you, right? Because God says you can't be forgiven if you walk that way. 
well, this is different. Yeah, it's always different. Right? So we want to forgive. We want to be a forgiving, loving people, kind. And what, when, when that happens, God takes us out of the darkness. He puts us in the light. And then they, a lot of times people are tripped up. They're imposing a testing upon themselves that God doesn't want for them. God doesn't want that for them. God doesn't want that for us. So we pray this prayer. God, I need you. God, I can't see straight on my own. God, um, my antenna is bent. For me to perceive perfectly what's the right way to go. Um, I've chosen badly in the past. How many can say that? I, yeah. I had a choice and I put myself in a place. It's bad enough with the, with, the, with the balls going straight at you, but when the curves start to come in. So we just pray, God, I admit I need you. I admit that I've blown it in the past. I'm telling you, I don't want to keep blowing it. I'm asking you to guide me and direct me, and I'm not going to walk in fear. You know, there are, I love the Psalms on this because the Psalms are full of David pleading with God for guidance. This is, this is David. I mean, he like wrote a lot of the Bible. Psalm 91 is just a great psalm. But I like Psalm 121 as well. It's a lesser known and it's shorter. I want to I read it. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Our comings and our goings, he's with us. I want to invite the musicians to come. Let's just bow our heads in prayer right now. Glory be to God. Father, you're so good. God, you're so merciful. You're so long-suffering. God, you know us. Your word says you know our weakness. You know what we're made of. You know that we're made of dust. God, you know that we're, we're just moving forward. We're doing the best we can. So, Father, we come to you as individual believers and also as a church. And, Father, we believe that you have a purpose for us, a purpose. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. We want to be like the people who heard the voice of John. We want to be repentant in our heart. God, we cannot pray, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We can't pray that with a haughtiness because it's a prayer of dependence. It's a prayer of admission. The Father, in Jesus' name, we call on you right now. You got a lot of living left for us to do. You got a lot of service 
for us to render unto you. You've got people for us to love and to bless and to forgive and to love unconditionally. You've got, you got purposes and a mission. And God, we know the enemy of our soul is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But that doesn't matter because you're bigger and you're with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And God, we ask you, Lord, right now, let your rod and your staff comfort us. Guide us, Lord, in the path where we tread. See that they've set snares for us, but God, you're defending us and protecting us. God, protect us from ourselves. Sometimes we just can't see. We just don't know the right way. We think we know the right way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. God, we want life. We choose life. We ask, God, that you guide us. You direct us. God, we ask that you guide and direct our children. We ask that you guide and direct our siblings, our parents, our friends, our loved ones. God, this whole church, lead us not into testing, into temptation, deliver us from evil.